So last week we watched The Star Lost, which I just found because I found a list of forgotten 70s TV shows that uh, I'd never heard of and you'd never heard of. And it uh, turns out quite a few people do remember it. I guess it's a self-selecting audience, though, right? Like the people who found our video, it's because they remember that show. But, but yeah, people did uh, remember it. It aired, you know, obviously it was a Canadian thing. So someone in Canada was like, oh, I remember that. And a bunch of stuff in the States, but someone in Australia, too. So it did make the rounds. But I just thought we'd start, because this week I've got another 70s sci-fi show from that era. But let's start with some of the comments about the Star Loss that I thought were kind of interesting. So one guy said that in the mid-70s, it was a sci-fi wasteland. There just wasn't that much on TV. So he was just glad to have the Star Lost, you know. And we were saying how the special effects, that was kind of the downfall. If anyone wants the details, it's last week's episode. But the real downfall of that show is they tried to pioneer new technology that didn't work. So everything looked bad. But he pointed out that TVs in the 70s were small and fuzzy, and, you know, it didn't look so bad back then. But we also, uh, this might seem like an obvious thing to any American, but we weren't sure about how TV stations worked. So, like, this show wasn't one of the major network shows, but, like, were there independent TV stations? So someone said that there were, in Chicago, for example, there were at least five independent TV networks. So I feel like, again, that's one of those things probably an American would be like, how did you not know that? But it just isn't that way in Canada. Remember when we were watching really early TV from like the late 40s and the early 50s uh, when we started doing this stuff? Right. And you discovered a bunch of independent ones well, at that time. Well, I mean, mainly what I think of, though, is the, the Dumont Network. Yes. Which, but that wasn't independent. That was a big-time one. It just didn't survive. So I knew there was an extra big network but I, I, I wasn't really okay. sure and even still I, I get the sense that these independent stations in like the Chicago area for instance I'd have to research this more maybe I will sometime but it does seem like they still weren't really making their own full-fledged shows it would be stuff like the Star Lost that was uh, syndicated they would rerun other people's shows and then I presume they had you know their own news and stuff but yeah I don't know if anybody wants to leave me some comments about the history of independent TV networks, because all I know is, like, Weird Al's UHF movie. <laughs> I just don't know how that all worked. But I guess there were these uh, these independent networks in America, where, for us, for us, it's almost more like how the BBC just has its specific channels. We were a bit like that in Canada. You know, we have CTV and the CBC, but not really that many specific channels. Uh, and also the idea, the Star Lost, the whole idea was this generational ship, you know, like the ship that left Earth and then so many generations passed that the people on the ship forgot they were on the ship. And I wasn't sure if, because uh, I knew the Orville did that story, so uh, I was a little surprised that Harlan Ellison didn't kick up a fuss about it because, you know, he famously sued James Cameron over the Terminator, even though Harlan Ellison's time travel future soldier story was really nothing like the Terminator. I, I would have fought it if I was James Cameron, but they just, they capitulated. But Harlan Ellison did not sue the Orville, both because it was not his original idea, and I looked it up, he actually died in 2018. So <laughs> I assume I assume the, uh, the estate of Harlan Ellison is less litigious than him. But a lot of people brought up that uh, possibly the first appearance of that idea was Orphans of the Sky by Robert Heinlein, famous for Stranger in a Strange Land and Starship Troopers. But also, there was actually an episode of Star Trek, the original series, season three, episode eight, called For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, where they find 
like a big asteroid that turns out has people on it that don't realize they're on a ship. So it was obviously one of the later Star Treks, the final season. But uh, I thought even though we're not specifically doing Star Trek this week, I did grab that episode because I'll get into the show we're going to do this week. But uh, if we want to bail out, I thought it might just be fun to watch that episode of Star Trek. Because, hey, any excuse to watch Star Trek, Yeah, right? I'm game for any Star Treks. So I love Star Trek, the original shows. <laughs> and it'll be neat to see, because, again, Harlan Ellison, you know, he uh, got in the big fight about City on the Edge of Forever. Like, you guys ruined my Star Trek script. So it'll be interesting to see the Star Trek version of the Star Lost idea. See who did it better. Because uh, I figure it's probably Star Trek. <laughs> Star Lost is real bad. <laughs> Oh, yes. I know. I know for a fact. I haven't seen it, but... <laughs> <laughs> It'll certainly be more entertaining. I know. It'll. I know. It's Star Trek. The winner. <laughs> and then just the last little thing I wanted to bring up about uh, the Star Lost is that, uh, because, yeah, this is, this was the first comment somebody left, and this was one of the wildest comments I've ever seen on one of our videos. And this is total hearsay. There's really no details. This guy doesn't get into how he supposedly knows these things. He just says... My friends in the industry told me there were supposed to be four main characters, but budgetary requirements meant one had to be cut. But as we discussed last week, all the characters were so bland and so boring, I can't imagine how an extra one would make any difference. But then he said, because they, again, that show, Harlan Ellison took his name off it because everything was going so poorly on every level, the producers tried to pay off Harlan Ellison with a hooker. <laughs> and... The only way I can believe maybe that's true is because it was a Canadian production. Maybe they're just more freewheeling. Maybe it was the Trailer Park Boys of 1970s TV production. It is kind of an interesting comment. And, and I mean, at the very least, I could see this being, you could make a good show about the Star Lost. You know, like these people that have all these highfalutin ideas for this. So, you know, we're going to reinvent sci-fi. We're going to make the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then you get turned down by the BBC. You got to go to Canada. So already, plenty of Canada jokes <laughs> you could work in there. And you got this little studio because you didn't have any money all of a sudden. And your technology to use miniatures and things isn't working. Harlan Ellison is cantankerous at the best of times. And now he's losing his temper and taking his name off stuff. And you're like, I don't know, how do we... How do we calm this guy down? Like, even if it's not true, it would make a great... Go down to Young Street and find some young thing. <laughs> yeah. If even, I wonder if they even filmed it in Toronto. What if it were there in, like, Calgary or something, and you're oh, just I'm like... Oh, I'm sure there you can... I'm sure Calgary's got a street, too. Yeah, I'm sure it does, but it'd be even <laughs> even more, like, you know... There's almost something business-like about finding a hooker in Toronto, where if you did it in any other city, what if you're in the Peg or in Winnipeg or something, and it's just real... This is real grody. This is real low-down. I mean, that would make a great... You could make a funny movie about a failed sci-fi show based on the Star Lost, for sure. I think that'd be a great idea. But anyway, I thought, since we're in this 70s failed pre-Star Wars, you know, just the weird stuff that was going on in the 70s. We're post-Star Trek, pre-Star Wars. We're in that dead zone in the middle where just not the best time ever for science fiction. So I thought, let's just go back to that same list where I've got the Star Lost from. And there's a bunch of other non-sci-fi shows listed. But what's, what other sci-fi shows are there from the 70s that are forgotten? So I found a show called Space Academy. And in this case, I figured, okay, let's look up about Space Academy ahead of time. Let's just not go in blind. And uh, I don't think this is going to go as well, because at least, at least, uh, I could be wrong, but at least Star Lost had an interesting story behind it, you know, like an interesting production, where Space Academy is like a kid's show. 
And we've done a few kids shows and I, I can't say it's ever gone great because I know people from the era are going to comment like I watched Star Space Academy as a kid. I loved it. And it's like, yeah, I know you did. Like when I was a kid, I thought Small Wonder was good. I thought Out of This World was good. I thought everything was good. It wasn't, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I'll cut you off at the pass here. I know you loved Space Academy, but we're adults in the year 2023. This might not go so well. It's just, it's not for us. But it uh, was described as Star Trek for kids. So I'm like, ah, oh, well, sure, why not? You know, <laughs> they're all on YouTube. Let's check it out. I do have two episodes, but if it's, if it's bad, we'll just watch one and we'll skip over to Star Trek. Okay. Because, yeah, when I look this up, there's just nothing, nothing really notable about it. It's uh, Space Academy is an American science fiction television series produced by Filmation, originally aired Saturday mornings in 1977 for 15 episodes. Described as Star Trek for Kids, the program starred veteran actor Jonathan Harris, best known as Dr. Zachary Smith of Lost in Space. So he's the name, he's the adult, and everyone else is a kid. And I guess the only kind of interesting thing, because even I, I thought, like, I really can't find any any notable details about this show. Let me do a little... What is that noise? Has that been there the whole time? Oh, it's this thing. Yeah, like the floor is moving. Something outside. It must is. be when vehicles go by. Look at these little ones here. Look, just... Yeah. Well, anyway, whatever. I'll just wrap this up. Apologies, by the way, if anyone hears... Yeah, look at that one. Yeah, we just realized that, uh, I don't know what it is, like construction or something outside, but the whole, this whole house is uh, shaking a little. Our chandelier in this office is, uh, yeah, weird. Anyway, I'll just wrap this up real quick. So, so sorry about the random background noise. Hopefully it'll be done for the second half of the episode. Uh, but yeah, I decided to do, since I couldn't find anything about this show, I did a little independent research because there's a, uh, they put it out on DVD and had a little behind the scenes making of whatever. And even that was just... Just everybody going like, yeah, it was a great time. I got to be on a space show when I was a child actor, and it was just a fun summer. We made this show. And even the, uh, the idea that it only lasted for one year and 15 episodes doesn't seem like that was a, a failure or like it was canceled. That seemed to be what Filmation did at the time. Because before Space Academy, the year before, there was a show called Arc 2 that had the same little, there's like a robot character in this show that was in that show. And then the year after, part of Space Academy was called the Star Command. So the year after this, they did a show called Jason of Star Command. So it seems like this is just what they were doing at the time. They're making these, these Saturday morning kids shows that were space-themed, and just each year was a different one. So, so anyway, I mean, yeah, so that's basically where we're at now. Is like I, it seems unlikely that we'll love it, because, again, it's a kids show, Saturday morning from 1977. But maybe, you know, maybe yeah, we'll it have was... To see. But usually most of those kids shows they dumbed them down like as if they were treating kids like they were dumb yeah so, rather than you know giving them something with a little bit of meat in it so the kid could think because kids are quite smart and and enjoy things that are uh have a bit of substance to them but a whole lot of this stuff is uh yeah dumbed down stuff well we'll have to see maybe 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 they didn't dumb it down yeah because based on the behind the scenes thing with the people that were in it and the producers and stuff they were all quite pleased with it they're like yeah you know we made star trek for kids we tried to teach them some cool space stuff about togetherness and friendship and <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> so who knows? So anyway, yeah, we'll watch episode one of uh, Star Command. That is what it was called, right? I just deleted the thing. Oh my god, I forgot already. Let me just make sure. If I say the wrong name of the show, people will... <laughs> it's called Space Academy. <laughs> I already messed up the name. 
Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully the uh, building will stop shaking by the time we get to the end, because, yeah, it's... Uh... But anyway, so yeah, we're going to watch episode one of Space Academy, and then if we just absolutely love it, I also have episode 15, so the first and last of Space Academy, and the Star Trek episode that uh, is based on the generational ship is season three, episode eight, for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky, so we will meet you after... most magnificent achievement in the conquest of space, the man-made planetoid Space Academy, founded in the star year 3732. Dr. McCoy, the Fabrini descendants are scheduled to debark on their promised planet in approximately 390 days. I think that we could manage to be in that vicinity at that time if you wanted to thank the Fabrini personally. So yeah, I figure let's just wander into the front room to record this, because this seems to be the only thing really making noise, but it's way too hard to make it stop. Nothing in here is like vibrating, so it's a lot quieter. Excellent show. Star Trek, of course. Yeah, yeah so the, uh, the Star Trek, uh, I looked up the Heinlein story that seems to be the first generation ship and uh, in that one the ship wasn't meant to collide with anything but in the Star Trek version it did and then in Star Lost it did and then in the Orville it did so it seems like Star Trek came up with the idea at least of uh, that the ship's gonna crash into something else and everyone else ripped that off ever since and yeah Star Trek I mean we'll get into Space Academy in a second but the thing Space Academy and Star Lost both, you can't pinpoint exactly why, but they just both have that feeling of, you know, your mind just kind of glazes over and you're just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, what's really the point of this? Why do we care? And that's the thing that for any faults original Star Trek might have, the greatest strength it has is you don't feel like that. Like if anything, they really piled it on in this episode, a crazy shit happened. Fucking McCoy, uh, gets this rare blood disease, only has a year left to live, and it's like, well, that's a little much, but then that explains why when they get onto this asteroid that is about to crash, but the people on it don't realize that they're even on a ship, and, you know, they have to be convinced that any of this is true, but there's this, uh, you know, somewhat ham-fisted romance plot about McCoy staying there, but that's why he agrees, because he's only got a year left to live anyway, so it all... And they only got a year left also before the collision. Right. And then, of course, you know, Kirk and Spock figure out how to, uh, you know, get through the, the, the words of the elders and convince people of the truth. And then along with that, they find, because it was right at the end, there's only like a minute and a half left when they found the... They find uh, the library of medical knowledge, which cures McCoy. I mean, yeah. perfect. Oh, yeah, it goes right up to the end with uh, suspense. There's no question of everything we saw. That's the top notch. Yeah, which again, I mean, there's a obvious reasons why Star Trek is, uh, you know, it's not what it used to be, but that it's still going to this day and that it's so famous. Whereas, you know, these other shows, of course, they were on a list of forgotten shows. So, of course, they're not going to be as good. But yeah, Space Academy, what I thought was interesting about that show, because again, you know, it's a Saturday morning kid show. I mean, I guess it wasn't the worst, but the first episode was medium okay, but then we watched the uh, the final episode and... Watching two episodes, it was so much worse. That second one, I really just downright didn't like. But again, why be? There's no need to be extra critical. It just, it is what it is. It's just a, a weird low budget kid show of the 70s. But it, uh, 
it wasn't trying to do anything unique. It was just Star Trek. All of the, it had phasers, it had sound effects were the same. It's just that basic idea of, it's weird because it didn't, that never seemed corny in Star Trek. The idea of Earth coming together and, you know, that there's the, all the different people, the different races that weren't commonly on TV at the time. And like, we've gotten our shit together. Human, humanity in the future works together. And Space Academy had that same kind of feeling of that, you know, that very, you know, like even when they find this alien kid, they got to throw in, you know, not only will we save you from your planet that's going to blow up, but you will be loved if you come with us. <laughs> like it was, it just felt corny where that same notion is in the DNA of Star Trek, but it just doesn't feel corny in Star Trek. It just feels like the human race has evolved. Where in Space Academy, it just felt like some 70s hippie flower power fucking nonsense. <laughs> but it was okay. I mean, it, it, it was better than what we watched last week in that it started off fairly quickly, action fairly quickly. Um, the acting was kind of weak, but... Yeah, uh, for sure. Just weird, though, because I guess it had the other opposite thing where the star lost belabored the explanation way too much. It just spent forever setting up this premise that is not really that complicated, and it turns out Star Trek already did, you know, five years earlier. But uh, Space Academy was kind of the opposite. I guess because it was just a Saturday morning kids show, they didn't want there to be, like, a first episode. They're all just episodes. You just want to be able to rerun them whenever you want. So they just throw you right in. So it's just this, this academy where there's Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. Oh, the pain. <laughs> the pain of it all. And everyone else is a teenager, so they... There's this planet, and they're like, uh, there's, no, there's nothing alive on that planet, right? It's, oh, I hope not, because it's about to explode. They're like, no, there is a signal. There's a thing. We should go explore. And then they just send all these teenagers, where I bet if you're a little kid watching that, you're like, cool, the teenagers are taking care of business. But watching it as an adult, it's like, what kind of negligent space <laughs> academy is this? Why would you send four teenagers to do this extremely serious job, and the only person overseeing it is rattle old Dr. Smith who barely seems to know what's going on himself, you know? <laughs> Definitely one of those things that, like, kids would think that was cool. Like, yeah, it's all fellow kids doing all the missions. But as an adult, it's like, they need some more grown-ups around here. What the heck is this? And then the other thing that stood out to me a lot, especially in the second episode we watched, maybe it's something about, like, sound mixing, I think, just has come a long way. Because I noticed this a lot in, uh, it's the only thing I didn't like about the Waltons, is that in the original Walton show, Excellent show, classic show, but the sound mixing is bad. Like, just the, those Ozark sounds of just birds chirping and stuff were ever-present and louder than the dialogue. And this was like that, except it's those space sounds, where Star Trek has those, that, the hum of the bridge and the little weird little noises that are maybe a little excessive, but they at least aren't distracting. They're very quiet. Yeah. They're, very, it's, it, they're there, but it's background. You don't, you're not conscious of it. Whereas, in, yeah, in... Uh, Space Academy. Oh, yeah. Tweet, tweet. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, it was literally just beep, boop, 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 for the whole show. The whole, like, without commercials, it was whatever, 23, 24 minutes. The whole time, it's going beep, boop, 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 boop. And this thing is, like, way further in the future than most sci-fi shows. It's the year 3700 or something. And I just would be like, I just would love to talk to the engineers. Like, hey, is there any way that uh, our super advanced space stuff could possibly not make continuous beeping noises? And they're just like, no, I'm afraid not. That's just how the technology works. It'll over overheat if we don't vent the sound. And like, even the little this? robot. They had one little robot 
peep or peeper or whatever he was called, peepo. <laughs> but it looked like a little, it looked like a little vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And, and with little lights in it, um, and certainly not nearly, not even as advanced as let's say the Daleks in uh, in the original uh, Doctor Who's, yeah. which were done in the early 1960s. Yeah, like as I was watching it, I was saying to you how uh, I mean that same year Star Wars came out and like R2D2 is miles ahead of those guys but yeah like you were saying even the Daleks same essential idea but way better yeah this thing really did just look like a a cheap toy that's one thing that I'm trying to you know because I was born in 79 so I missed this era and you were presumably not watching a lot of sci-fi tv at the time because you know you were getting your life uh, off the ground your law practice and going to school and stuff so neither of us really experienced this particular era of tv but I'm trying to piece it together in my mind. One thing I meant to mention at the start that I forgot to mention is there was that person who said that this era of the mid-70s was lacking sci-fi shows, but then that person from Chicago who said there were five independent stations in Chicago, they said there were too many sci-fi shows at the time. So I wonder if that's just geographic. Like if you're in a big area like Chicago, then you just have more channels and you have more access to stuff. Maybe there were a lot of just shows. But I was really, couldn't help but notice that Space Academy, and again, it's a Saturday morning kids show. It's not going to be the highest um, budget thing, but it's exactly like Star Trek. Everything, the phasers, the teleporting, the sounds, the costumes, the sets, nothing had progressed even a little. And this is like nine years after Star Trek. And it made me wonder, like, I wonder if, because obviously Star Wars is super duper impressive visually compared to all this stuff. And maybe this is partially like what, like the pressure that built up that something like Star Wars needed to happen. Because even the year before it, even for big budget movies, if you watch Logan's Run, it's ridiculous. There's a robot in Logan's Run that just looks like a cardboard box with tinfoil on it. It looks like garbage. So maybe it was just like 10 straight years of this, of like sci-fi not advancing at all. You know, like visually, it's just exactly the same. The sounds are the same. Everything's the same. So Star Wars finally just, it's like the dam bursting where all of a sudden the special effects are good and the sound effects are better and the story wasn't better. The story was shit, <laughs> but, but special effects wise was amazing. And then I was thinking, I wonder if, so Star Wars broke down the barriers of special effects, like looks like it brought everything into the present. But the, sp- the storyline is still just guys in space robes saving their dads with the power of love. You know, it's still awful. So maybe that's what led to, like, Blade Runner. You know, like the really dark, or, or Alien before that, but the really dark, gritty version of space. Like, they were like, all right, Star-, Star Wars is a step ahead, but still not far enough. We still got to get away from all this corny, peace and love nonsense <laughs> that is going on in sci-fi and we got to make this brutal and harsh and then that's when the 80s happened and everything that's i mean again i don't know i'm just trying to imagine where the culture was at at the time but that's that's the thought process my brain went through well then i'm thinking though of that british space 1999 and it was done in 1976 i think and it's really really well done and it, it kind of gets past. It's got some pretty good technology. And it's past the peace, love, and understanding themes. So there's a there's a there's like a, a bridge thing between the early 70s, which is, seems to be pretty schmaltzy, and then Star Wars, and then what comes on later on in the 1980s, which is more, yeah, gritty and dark and 
But uh, I guess that's what's interesting about sci-fi, though, is that it's always going to be intertwined with technology in ways that other genres just aren't. You know, like All in the Family is just... Here's just uh, someone's living room. Here you go. Or if you're going to do a fantasy show, it's like, yeah, it's all right. Throw on some loincloths or whatever. <laughs> it's good enough. It's fine. Where sci-fi is kind of unique in that, I mean, the, the better shows are the ones like Star Trek that lean on the storyline and don't worry about the special effects. But it's like, I guess when the storyline's not so good, then you can't help but start to pick apart <laughs> the special effects in a way that you just wouldn't bother with other genres. So it kind of becomes like a double problem when you have a, a sort of corny sci-fi show and it looks bad. It's like, yikes, <laughs> this, is, this is trouble. But just in finishing off, I, I didn't find Space Academy was as bad as I thought it would be. Right. For, for a, a kid show, I, if I was a kid watching that stuff, uh, even today, well, yeah, I, I, I would be very impressed with it. And I wouldn't be concerned about the fact that there weren't a lot of older adults in it. Uh, those teenagers would, would be older than what probably most kids who watched that were. They were probably mostly 8, 10, 12, 13 years old. The people in that show were late teens. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, I'm sure if I watched it as a kid, I'd be glad there weren't adults, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. be. And, and I wouldn't even think. I, I would, why, would, why would there have to be adults around? Those, oh, those people are more than competent, those young people who are running everything. They're more than competent. The other thing I thought was kind of interesting, as I showed you a little bit of, that it made me think of, is just that style of a kind of, kind of low-budget, live-action Saturday morning show is that it reminded me a lot of the Power Rangers. It just had that feeling of, because obviously Power Rangers uses a lot of clips from older Japanese TV shows mixed with new stuff. So it didn't quite look up to 90s standards, even though it came out in the 90s. It had that old 70s, 80s feel. But that was kind of neat too, because my generation in the 80s, we just kind of didn't have any shows like that where everything was just cartoons based on toys. And if we did have live action stuff, it was Saved by the Bell, like it was contemporary. I don't think we had like a sci-fi fantasy show that I can remember. So it was kind of neat that the 70s had shows like this, all these filmation shows, and then the 90s had Power Rangers. And in the 80s, I don't know, we just had Transformers and GoBots and He-Man. We just kind of missed out on this. This was just not something that I had as a kid. So it's kind of neat in that sense just to see this stuff.